Uh, we are taking a look this morning at Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, beginning with verse 22. The Word of God says, Immediately he, that's Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Oh, listen to these words. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand to him and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you hungry to hear from you. Lord, we need to move beyond just the events of this week, and we need to reconnect ourselves with all of eternity and with a God who controls all of it. And so, Lord, in this small passage of your word, would you encourage us? Would you refresh us? Would you correct us? Would you direct us? Would you guide us? Would you love us? We pray these things in your name. Amen. We are having a few pieces of normal come back together this week. I hope that's been true for you. More people got their power on. Uh, maybe you're getting back to work a little bit. Some of the rhythms and routines of life are coming back in place. And in fact, uh, Susan and I are finding that a little bit as well. And we were just kind of trying to rebuild some normalcy in our life. And so we said, you know what we ought to start doing this week? We ought to go back to going for a walk in the evenings. And we have, over the years, really enjoyed going for a walk. In fact, some of our early days of dating, we would go for a walk in the really, because we went to college in Palm Beach Atlantic College in West Palm Beach, we'd go for a walk on the fancy shopping area called Worth Avenue on Palm Beach. It's kind of like Rodeo Drive for old, old people. Um, and so we would walk there and just show off how young we were. And we would walk hand in hand, and it was so nice. And, and one of the things we liked about moving to, you, to, to Hammond was going for a walk around the campus and things like that. Now, we have learned that one of the things that we have to do before we go for a walk is we have to determine what kind of walk is it going to be. Is it going to be a walk for exercise? 
where we want to get our heart rate up and going and we want to just really kind of get some exercise? Is it going to be a walk where we catch up with each other and say, man, what have you been doing today? What are you thinking about? How are the kids doing? Uh, And kind of work our way through that kind of thing. Or is it going to be a romantic walk? Now, here's my experience. You can for sure do any one of those three. We can do for sure any one of those three. On occasion, we can do two of those at the same time. But we have never been able to walk for exercise, catch up with each other, and have a romantic walk at the same time. That's too much uh, to do all in one walk. Now, we've had some great walks. But we've never walked on water. Now, that's a great walk. Now that is an incredible walk. In fact, when I have uh, interviewed the 1,000 imaginary people in my mind and had them rank the three most significant, amazing miracles of Jesus, this is the number three rank in my imaginary survey that I've done. Uh, Obviously, number one is the resurrection. Uh, Number two, I think, are the feeding miracles. Maybe it's because I I interviewed these imaginary people when they were hungry, but but they ranked the feeding of the 5,000 at at number two. And then there's this one, walking on water. That's an amazing thing. It's a remarkable thing, this idea that they walked on water. In fact, here's the scene. Jesus has been spending days with the crowds. And he has been teaching them, and he has been pouring himself out to them. He has been teaching them how to understand a new way to see the world, a new way to understand God. And the people, remember we talked about this a little bit the other day, that they stayed with him for days and missed a meal. In fact, just prior to this is the feeding of the 5,000. And remember, for whatever reason, they only counted the men there. So this is a crowd of about 15,000 people or more. But then Jesus dismisses them after they've been fed spiritually and physically. He sends the disciples away so that he can be alone. And he finds a quiet place to pray. Just as a side note to you, my friends, you're going to need to do that in these days. You are going to need to call time out. You you are going to need to step away from the intensity, the busyness, the questions, the confusion, the exhaustion that you've been dealing with. And you are going to need to step away. Maybe you need to go for a drive and try to find a place where there aren't these piles of debris uh, piled up. Maybe you need to clear off your back patio and just be quiet. Maybe you need to have a moment, some of you that have been housing extra people, and have a moment where it's just you alone in that house. How amazing would that be? After all of this, to be still and to be quiet. We are all going to need to find those places. But Jesus didn't just find time to be alone, but he also found time for prayer. He found time to commune with the Father. And it says he stayed there till the evening. He stayed there till long after dark, refreshing and renewing his soul. He had been through so much, and I'm always reminded if Jesus, who is God himself, needs these times of respite, and he needs these times to get away quietly, and he needs these times to pray to the Father, whew, you know that you and I need that. We need that. And so Jesus has spent this time, but now 
he's got to catch back up with the disciples. He's got to go find the disciples, and the disciples are his ride. His ride has, has left. He sent them away. But now they're going to the other side of the lake. He's on one side of the lake. They're trying to get to the other side of the lake. He needs to catch up with them. And so instead of waiting and looking for another boat in the middle of the night, instead of walking the long way around, Jesus walks on the water. And boy, when he gets there, he absolutely spooks the disciples out. They look at this figure walking in a place where they had never seen anyone walk, say, it must be a ghost. Now, why is it that this, why is it that this miracle is so fascinating to us? I think there are several reasons. One of the reasons why, why it's so fascinating is that not everyone can do it. Raise your hand if you're on the walk on water club. Now, some of you have thought you could come close. I mean, some of you had some good days, and you thought, let me try the water thing. I think I can do it today. But, but here, here's the people who have walked on water. Jesus, Peter, that's the list. Jesus, Peter, nobody else, all of history, all of time, two people ever, Jesus and Peter. Now, I know that in your Bible, when you look at this section of the Bible, it says Jesus walks on water. And listen, Jesus is the star of the story. But I'm not surprised that Jesus walked on water. I mean, Jesus can do anything he wants to do. There's no limits to what Jesus can do. My attention is drawn a little bit to Peter because Peter's just a dude. And Peter gets to do something that no person has ever done. I'm drawn to this because there's something about Peter that watches Jesus do something and says, I want to do what Jesus does. Now, there's a lot of debate in this passage of Scripture about whether what part of Peter's heart this came from. Did this come from a desire to be like Jesus? Or did this come from the same place that probably comes in my heart that says, I want to walk on water? so I can tell people the rest of my life that I walked on water. But I want you to notice in this passage of Scripture, outside of one moment, and we'll get to that moment, Jesus does not criticize Peter for his desire to do what Jesus is doing. I think that's a big deal. So I think part of this is fascinating because the history of the world, two people have walked on water. One of them we're not surprised by. The other we're like, whoa, impressive. I think the other thing that, that makes this a fascinating passage of Scripture is that there is something about walking where others drown that is absolutely amazing. There is something here that what happens in this passage of Scripture is the exact opposite of what circumstances demand. The laws of nature, the laws of physics. If you go home today, get in your boat well, I would go put it in water first. But if you go launch your boat, get out of your boat and try to walk, it's not going to go well for you because the laws of physics says you walk on the water, you will drown. It is impossible to keep your head above water. But we are fascinated about this passage of Scripture because in this moment, they keep their head above the water in the very place that other people drown. Now listen, you and I have been walking through circumstances some of them, and only some of them, are called Ida. That we were pretty sure were going to cause us to drown. 
that they were going to overwhelm us, that they were going to flatten us, that they was going to exhaust us. Listen, when they told us that we weren't going to get our power back till September 17th, and the calendar still said August, like, what? In fact, I, I sent a message to a pastor friend of mine in Lake Charles, and uh, I said, for real? Uh, I said, how long were you all without power last year? He said, at my house, I was out 31 days. Like, I literally asked how do you do that? He says, you turn the generator on. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> but in my mind... I, I never thought we, we, we went 10 days without power. If you would have told me at any point in set time, said, listen, you're going to take a 10-day break from power. I, 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 my mind says I can't do that. Some of you have been walking through circumstances, only of which some of them are called Ida, that you've looked at and said, I can't do this. This is going to crush me. I, I'm not able to do this. And yet somehow... You're holding steady, and you're able to do it because you are walking where other people drown. And there is something profound and amazing about being able to walk where other people drown. I think this is also fascinating in this passage of Scripture because it's a little precarious. Did you notice this? If you get to walk on water one day, the world record isn't too far to beat for distance. We don't know how many steps that Peter took. He took enough so that it could be called walking on the water. But I don't think he got to 100 yards. I don't even think if he was playing football that he would have gotten a first down. Uh, I mean, I think it was a handful of steps. And so here's the story. Peter is walking on the water. Peter is not walking on the water. It comes and it goes so quickly. It disappears from him all of a sudden. He's doing it. He's not doing it. Remember, I told you that Jesus does not criticize Peter for asking to come on the water. Jesus does not criticize Peter for taking those steps on the water. He criticizes Peter for his lack of faith. Now, Peter began with great faith. If that's you, Jesus, you have the ability to let me walk on the water. That's faith. Peter climbed over the side of that boat. Peter, who has spent his entire life in boats, has never climbed out of the boat while it was in the middle of the lake. And Peter climbs out of there, and he puts his feet, his foot there on the water. And he begins, that's faith. But then it says that he looked at the waves. And what happened is he moves his eyes from Jesus to the waves. And when he moves his attention to the circumstances, to the difficulties, that is when he begins to sink. Now listen, Jesus is not asking you to deny the waves. 
He is not asking you to, de- to deny the wetness of the water. He is not asking you to deny the depth of the sea. But he says that if you want to walk on the water and you want to walk through the storm and you want to walk through the waves, eyes on me. Eyes on me. Because Jesus matters more than the waves matter. Jesus matters more than the circumstances. Jesus matters more than the stuff that you've been dealing with and that you've been walking on. In no way does Jesus ever tell you, pretend it doesn't exist. He just says, look at me first. Keep your eye on me. You see, we need to realize that in our world, there are both our circumstances and there are Jesus. Both are real. But when we choose to say, oh, I got to pay attention to the circumstances, that's the lack of faith that Jesus can't handle the circumstances. Let him handle those circumstances, and he will do it. I think that's the reason why this is such a fascinating passage. You may have some other reasons for it as well. But let me give you just a few applications this morning, the now what, in terms of this. One of the things I want you to hear in terms of applying this is I want you to know that you were designed for harder places than we imagine. You were designed for harder places than what we imagine sometimes. Do you remember, some of you weren't alive, but do you remember after the first Gulf War and it was the first televised war, it was televised live, and one of the things that was really cool was the big Jeeps that they were riding, and they weren't the old World War II Jeeps, they were these giant Hummers, and like, whoa, look at the size of that, look how amazing it is, and and do you remember they started to sell those to civilians, and celebrities would buy those, and you'd see them in town, and people would park them in the garage or at four spaces and Target in the parking lot there? The thing about most of those Hummers that were bought by civilians, they stayed inside of the garage. They stayed on the pavement. They never actually got out on the terrain that they were built to do. They stayed safe and secure. I want you to know that sometimes as people of faith, as followers of Jesus, sometimes we spend too much time in the garage. Sometimes we spend too much time in the boat. Sometimes we spend too much time on the hard surfaces, the safe surfaces. When our faith was designed for some waves and some wet and some depth. And sometimes we look at something hard. Something we look, sometimes we look at something scary and we say, oh no, I can't go there. I don't want to go there. I won't be able to survive that if I do. You were designed to be in some hard places. It's like buying an umbrella and worrying that it got wet. It's like buying an umbrella and buying a second umbrella to keep it dry. It was designed to be out in those places. And so sometimes, and I'm speaking to me as well, sometimes there are things that we just gasp at and say, oh, I I don't want to go there. I don't want to go down that road. That looks hard. That looks difficult. That looks scary. That's going to cause anxiety in my soul. Yeah. But you were designed to be there. I don't know about the other 11 disciples. They never got out of the boat. Do you think they spend the rest of their life saying, I'm glad I didn't look silly like Peter? 
Or do you think they spent the rest of their life saying, Peter, what was it like out there? What did it feel like amongst those waves when you got out of the boat and you had Jesus invite you to walk and do something that seemed impossible? I want to know that I've been designed by God and called by God every once in a while to do something that seems impossible. Secondly, in terms of application, this one is really, really simple. Man, do you need to change the focus of your eyes this week? Man, if you have been looking at the waves this week, I completely understand. There have been some big waves. And again, I keep trying to say this. Man, Ida's been a big deal, but Ida hasn't stopped everything else in life that's been going on. And I just want to remind you the very simple truth. Don't look at the waves first. Look to Jesus first. You might get wet. You're going to feel the waves. But keep your eyes on Jesus. And lastly, I want to come back to what may be the greatest sentence ever spoken. It's Peter. He's walking. He's not. I don't know when panic set in on that moment. I don't know if it's when the water hit his ankles. I don't know if it was when the water hit his calf. I don't know when the water hit his knee. But I'm going to say sometime between the, the, the ankle and the knee, Peter knew he was in trouble. And he cries out the greatest sentence ever spoken, Lord, save me. Now Jesus in this moment knows that this is Peter's fault. He didn't have to get out of the boat. If Peter had kept his eyes on Jesus, he would have been fine. There was a lack of faith in Peter in that moment. But Peter cries out, Lord, save me. And here in verse 31, watch how Jesus responds to Peter and how Jesus will respond to every person who ever cries out, Lord, save me. Verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and took hold of him. There is no greater sentence that you can ever speak than, Lord, save me. That's the sentence that Sharon spoke not too long ago. It's not the exact words but it is the cry of the heart that says, I'm sinking. I'm not as safe as I thought I was. And it may be that you're stubborn <laughs> and it's up to your waist. You're like, I'm going to be all right. You're not all right. It, it may be up to your neck. And you may be having a hard time getting out the words, Lord, save me. 
But I want to tell you that every single person who has ever drawn breath needs to cry out to Jesus for all of the accumulated sin of their life and say, Lord, save me. It's not about this building. It's not about our traditions. It's not about keeping a, a balance of morality that you are better than three of your neighbors. It is solely calling on Jesus to say, Lord, save me. And he will save you in a way that no one else can with supernatural, eternal power. And if you're here this morning and you've never called out, Lord, save me, then I want to invite you to say, Lord, save me today. Not, not phonetically, but from your heart, from the depth of your life, saying, I'm sinking and I cannot do this without Jesus. And I want Jesus to reach out his hand immediately and take hold of me. And he will. And he will. He'll know the flaws in your life. He'll know the places in your life where you've lacked faith. He'll know the places where you have messed up. He'll know the places where you have embarrassed yourself. He will know the places where you have embarrassed him. He knows all of those things. But when we cry, Lord, save me, the same Jesus of Mark chapter 14 will reach out his hand and immediately take hold of you. We're going to have a moment of prayer. And if that's the conversation that you need to have right now, don't make it fancy, but don't make it tomorrow either. Lord, save me. At the end of the service, I'm going to be around, and I'd love to talk to you about it. Uh, I'd love to pray with you. I'll be at the back table, and we'll have time to talk about those things. But you don't even need me. Peter didn't need a pastor. <laughs> he just said to Jesus, Lord, save me. That's what he needed. So let me pray for you. Our Heavenly Father, I do thank you for your words. Lord, I thank you for amazing places where you completely disrupted the natural order. Lord, to do an amazing thing in that moment, but also to teach us truth for all of eternity. And so, Lord, we want to lean into this passage of Scripture, not just because it's fascinating, but, Lord, because we want to be able to walk where others drown. And, Lord, we are so grateful that when we call upon you, that you reach out your hand and that you save us. Thank you for that. And Lord, if that's a place where somebody is in this moment, showing up in church today might have been getting out of the boat. And now they are reasoning, realizing that they need to call on you. Lord, I pray that you would stir in their life and draw them to you. Just like you said to Peter, come. We pray this in your name. Amen.